All right, well, we do have a sermon uh, to dive into today. Uh, we've been in a sermon series called Seeing Clearly, uh, and we're looking at the vision and the values of our church. And uh, just to give you a little bit more information about why we talk about these things, values, everybody has values. And the reason why this is so important for us to know is because every decision you make, whether privately or organizationally, is always layered with values. Right, so let me give you a quick example, right? The reason why last night, okay, the reason why last night I chose uh, to eat no dinner versus eating, you know, a big piece of chicken or fried chicken or whatever it is, is because I ate so much in the morning, and so I chose not to eat because I wanted to keep my health, okay? That's why I made that decision, because health for me is a big value, okay? And so that's why I choose to eat broccolis and lettuce, which, you know, are not that great tasting, but, but over a fried chicken, because I value health, and you value health, and that's why you make the decisions you make. And in the same way, uh, for us as a church, we have values. We make decisions as churches. And, and so we want to tell you why we make these kinds of decisions and what values undergird our decisions. And this particular decision, I would say, is the value on top of all the values. And it is this. It is all about the gospel. Uh, I mentioned that our values are ABCs of NLF, and they all go in uh, order A, B, C, D, E until about F. And uh, our first value on top of the list is all about the gospel because our church truly makes decisions that are all about the gospel. Okay. So with that said, would you open up your Bibles to Titus 3? Uh, we'll look at verses 1 to 11. At the time, if you're able, would you rise as we read God's word together? Look at Titus 3, uh, verses 1 to 11. I'll read this for us. If you could, at the end, respond with thanks be to God, um, uh, 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 and then I'll seat you after the reading of God's word. This is a reading of God's word. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of our God's, uh, God and our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified, by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people, but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. This is the word of the Lord. You can go ahead and be seated. All right, well, if you're taking notes, you can take these uh, three points down. First is insisting on the gospel. Uh, the second point is called hope in the gospel. And then finally, we're going to talk about live the gospel, okay? Uh, so insisting on the gospel. Uh, there's a phrase uh, that we use uh, maybe on some regular basis. It goes something like this. This world is going to hell in a handbasket. I don't know if you've heard of this phrase, right? The world is going to hell in a handbasket. And the general meaning of this phrase is to depict a situation in which everything is headed for disaster, in which everything is headed for disaster. And whether you are on the right side of the aisle or the left side of the aisle, I think we can all agree on this. I mean, just this morning, I had this whole thing about proving to you that the world is going to hell in a handbasket, but man, just open up the news. I did that this morning. I went to the New York Times. They sent me a newsletter called The Morning, and I read through it. And of course, we learned that, that just a day ago, right, Israel has now declared war on the Gaza Strip. 
right? And there's full-blown war in the Middle East now. We're learning that there's a, a, an earthquake in Afghanistan, killed 830-some people in Afghanistan. I mean, just every day you open up the news, you realize that this world is going to hell in a handbasket. It is headed for disaster. And yet what's interesting is I think that every generation and every time and every place believe this, that the world was going to hell in a handbasket. And let me just give you a little example of this, okay? I was listening to a sermon back in the 90s, okay? This preacher was preaching in the 90s. And, and, and by the way, being a pastor in 2020, I look back at the 90s as a golden age of Christianity. I'm like, man, that's when churches were exploding, churches were being built and all this stuff, right? But in the 90s, this pastor was saying, man, the world is going to hell in a handbasket. Christians are leaving the church. Everyone's getting de-churched, all this secularism all over the place, right? He was saying that in the 90s. Yeah, and then he would say this in the 70s, right? In the 70s, he said, look at the 70s. That was the golden era. And then so I went back and I listened to sermons in the 70s with Billy Graham. And Billy Graham would say, the world is going to hell in a handbasket. And then I listened, and, and so Billy Graham would say, the world's going to hell in a handbasket. But in the 50s, things were far better. And so I went to, back to the 50s. I read Martin Luther King Jr. sermons. And Martin Luther King Jr. is describing a world on fire. It's crazy. Every generation, every generation would say that the world is going to hell in a handbasket. In fact, a sociologist named Rodney Stark argues that there is no such thing as a golden age for Christianity, that even in those so-called golden eras, there was still such widespread indifference to religion and Christianity in the general population. And here's why I'm talking about this, because the world has always been going to hell in a handbasket, and I think we all intuitively know it. The world has always been spiraling towards, towards disaster and destruction, and I think every generation, in my view, intuitively picks up on this. Um, you know, if you've ever seen the movie Oppenheimer, I'm, I apologize, I'm going to spoil the movie for you, okay? Um, but, but don't, you know, you can still watch the movie and still be blessed by it, okay? Or maybe not blessed, but like, you can still enjoy it, okay? Um, Oppenheimer, of course, is about uh, Oppenheimer building this big atomic bomb. And um, in the movie, basically, what, what Christopher Nolan is trying to get you to ask at the very end is that Oppenheimer creates this bomb that was designed for security, that was designed to keep us safe, and yet Oppenheimer, at the end of the movie, realizes that he unleashed Pandora, that he unleashed a, a weapon that could destroy all of humanity. And, and so at the end of the movie, they sort of get you to ask this question that it's not about if the atomic bomb is ever used, it's about when will it be used. And so he, in some sense, the Cold War is still alive. He's saying, look, it's not about if it'll be used, it's about when. And so the end is, is almost a prophetic image of Oppenheimer seeing all of these nuclear bombs going off in the world. Because it's not a question of if, it's when. And we've invented so many ways to kill ourselves. The world is going to hell in a handbasket. And I know what you're thinking. Eric, it's Sunday morning, man. NFL's going on. Uh, can you open up with something a little bit lighter? But look, I don't mean this just spiritually, but I mean this holistically, economically, environmentally, politically, sociologically, physically, mentally, emotionally today. I think we would all agree that the present world is headed towards hell in a handbasket. And, and look, this is why I think believing in a doctrine like hell is actually not terribly difficult for many of us because we see the trajectory of the world. And I think we would all agree that if something doesn't change, if something doesn't intervene, we will continue on this course. There's no way of escaping it unless something intervenes, someone intervenes. And so how, here's the question today, how are Christians now to live in a world that is in darkness, to live in a world that is going to hell in a hand? How are we to live in this kind of world? And here's what I want to contend, okay? Here's my point for today. It'll be up here on the screens for you, okay? The light shines the brightest when the world is at its darkest. The light shines the brightest when the world is at its darkest. 
right? Like my room right now, right? Like we have blinds, we, you know, and so the room at night gets super dark. And if my phone just lights up a little bit, I get a text message or I get a notification. The whole room lights up because of a little bit of light from that phone. And so let me come back to this in a moment, okay? Hold on to that. Let's dive into our passage today because I want you to hold on to this idea, okay? Uh, Titus is written by the Apostle Paul to Titus, who's a mentee of his, and he's actually sent Titus off to this missionary journey uh, to churches in Crete. And Crete was actually known for being treacherous, violent, and sexually corrupt. And in fact, the Greek word kretizo, which is what a Cretan was, is actually synonymous with the word liar, Right, just like cap, right? Cap means lie. They would say kritizo, and, and that would mean a liar because the people of Crete were actually incredibly uh, uh, violent, treacherous, uh, and very just uh, hard people to live with. And so in some sense, Crete was a kind of hell on earth. And yet there were these churches that formed, and primarily because it was a strategic location. There were all these ports and piers available, and so they would ship out things to the Roman world, and the Roman world would be shipped into them. And so there was just a strategic location, and so Paul sends uh, t- Titus here, and here's why Paul is encouraging them now. He's encouraging them because they live in a hellish place. They live in a place where there's no hope, where there's violence and treachery all around them, and where there are lies running rampant. And look at what the Apostle Paul says in verse 8. Look at what he insists on them doing in this kind of world. He says, the saying is trustworthy. I want you to insist on these things, on these things. So that, these, uh, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. And so what are these things? What are the these things that he's talking about? And I think that these things are verses 3 to 7. It's everything encapsulated in 3 to 7. And what is 3 to 7 talking about? I'll give you the shorthand version. It is the gospel. He's saying, insist on the good news of the gospel. Look at verse 3. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. So in other words, we live just like the world, hopeless. But then look at verse 4. But but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. Man, this, this blew my mind. If you haven't listened to anything, okay, listen to this part, okay? Verse 4, when the goodness and loving kindness of our God's Savior appeared. Why does he use that word appeared? Interesting. Why appeared? Because here's the reality. The gospel, the gospel is an event. It's a news. It's something that has actually historically happened. Jesus Christ appeared. You see, every other religion in the world would insist that you do good works, In order to achieve heaven, nirvana, whatever it might be, you have to do good works. They would insist on the good works, but the gospel insists that you simply receive news. That's it. Because the gospel is simply an event that happened, that Jesus appeared, that he was incarnated, that he lived the life you and I should have lived. He died the death that you and I should have died and ultimately reappeared in the resurrection, uh, to resurrection and to life. The gospel has been done for you. It is news. It is an event And we proclaim it to you every single Sunday. Christianity is not some philosophy. Christianity is not a middle path you must walk. It is not a multitude of prayers and worships you must do to obtain Jesus. It is not living out a certain philosophy or living out a particular set of commands, although the commands are important. It is primarily and singularly news that you and I receive. Look, friends, politics. Politics can't save us. Left or the right. No one's got the answer. In fact, the the divide between the left and the right is causing us to go deeper and deeper into into division. 
Psychology can save us. Yes, it is incredibly helpful, and I encourage people to go receive counseling if they're hurt, wounded uh, internally, but psychology can save us. The more modern we've become, the more counseling we've needed, and you think that counseling would have solved a bunch of issues, but look, we're in the middle of a war now. I mean, there's school shootings. These are evil acts. Look, I believe that there are systems and structures in our societies that are evil and sinful, but, but at the same time, even if we fix all the systems and structures, it won't save us, friends. More technology will not save us. We just talked about Oppenheimer. He created a bigger bomb that will kill more people, and we're developing bigger bombs that will kill more people. Even the technology here, our screens, we don't even know what it's doing to our minds. It's not saving us. It is destroying our minds. Look, why... Nothing can save us. We cannot save ourselves. And do you know why we cannot save ourselves? It's because we are the problem. If you want to rid this planet of evil, if you want to rid this planet of injustice, if you want to cure the problem to this planet, I'll, I'll give you the simple solution right now. Get rid of humanity. It's true. Like, get rid of us. If you get rid of us, there'll be no more evil, no more injustice. It'll be good. In fact, that's what the flood story is all about. Noah's flood story is all about humanity was the problem. But look at verse five and six now. Look at verse five and six. This is why we need intervening. We cannot save ourselves. Verse five and six, he saved us. He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Do you see that? It's his works, not our works. It's his mercy, not our mercy. It's his washing, not our washing. He says that through the washing of the regeneration, do you know what he's talking about? He's talking about the regeneration of our hearts, right? Our hearts are washed and cleansed and he regenerates it. Just like if I cut off my arm and it regenerates, what do I have? I have a new arm. He's saying that the Holy Spirit gives you a new heart. In other words, what God is doing in the gospel is he's creating a new humanity. He's creating new creations so that we are no longer the problem, but now we are the solutions to it all. We are now new in our hearts. We're washed and regenerated. And notice this is all God's action that he has accomplished for us. And this is why, friends, this is why the gospel, this is why the preaching of God's word sits at the center of our, of our worship services. Because we primarily believe that what you need to do is to receive first. Receive the good news. Because in a world that is filled with hopelessness, the first thing we need to do is receive good news of the gospel. Preaching is at the center of worship not because we're interested in entertaining you with a kind of TED talk. It's because we're proclaiming news to you every Sunday because this is the gospel. This is why every single Sunday we try to undo some of the lies in our culture. Paul goes on to talk about this in verse 9 and 11. Look what he says. He says, avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law. In other words, these are lies that were being talked about. For they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division, because that's what lies do. Lies divide people. The truth unites people. The gospel unites people. After warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. Friends, this is why we preach the truth at you. This is why we give you the gospel truth every single week. And the gospel truth unites us. It binds us together. But look, now here's the thing, okay? Here's the thing with good news. We, as human beings, we have a natural inclination towards good news, towards the gospel. And I want you to take a look at this video. It's only like 30 seconds long. It's like a little TikTok video. Um, but I want you to take a look at this, and we'll talk about it in a moment. What's the biggest tip you've ever gotten? $50. $50? Yeah. Has anyone ever tipped a car? Oh, my God. 
You notice? You notice what was her first reaction? This, this is a car key, not a car. This is a, you're, you're playing a prank on me. This isn't, and she says it later, this isn't real. This isn't real. This is fake. Our first inclination towards any gospel, any good news is to reject it because it's too good to be true. And I, by the way, I watched a ton of Mr. Beast. If you don't know Mr. Beast, he's like a guy who, I don't know, he's just crazy. He gives away lots of money. In fact, I think the first Mr. Beast video I watched was like he... Um, I think he had a guy live in a house for like 100 days or something. And at the end of it, he would give him like half a million dollars if he lived in a house for 100 days all by himself. So the guy like starts to go crazy, but he survives. So he gives him the half a million dollars at the end. Just crazy, right? But I watched all these different Mr. Beast videos where he gives away like $10,000, $50,000. And by far, the number one reaction they get is like, no, that can't be. No, you're playing a joke on me. That's a prank. No, that's not real. See, actually, honestly, if, you, if you're not a believer in here, we're so glad you're worshiping here with us. But actually, this is the biggest reason why I believe people doubt. I think the reason why people doubt the gospel is because it's too good to be true. How could, how could there be a God who's actually loving? How could there be a God who actually wants to get into our world and into our junk and into our mix? And even though we were enemies of him, he would die for us and wash us and regenerate us. What kind of news is this? There's no way it's real. It can't be real. But this is why week after week, day after day, it is all about meditating on this gospel and getting it deeper down into your souls and into your hearts. Because our natural inclination is to reject it. To say, this can't be true, this can't be true. This is why at New Life Fellowship, we are so big into the spiritual practices through scripture reading, prayer, meditation, Sabbath, community, generosity. What we are essentially doing is practicing the gospel. Right? I don't know if you guys remember the Sabbath series. Do you remember why we did the Sabbath series? We said it's a day where you don't work. You know why? You know what you're doing when you don't work? You're trusting in Christ's work for you. That's the gospel. And that's why you Sabbath. That's why you stop working because you're like, yeah, that's what the gospel is. I stop working. I trust that God's going to provide. That's the gospel. You rest in Christ's work, not in your own work. Look, friends, we need to get this truth deeper down into our souls Every single day, every single week, this is why we preach Christ and the gospel to you every week. This leads us to our second point, hope in the gospel, okay? Let's look at verse 7, okay? Look at verse 7 with me. So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life, okay? So Paul says here that we're heirs, which means, right, if you have kids, when you pass away, you're going to pass down your inheritance to your kids. So they're your heirs. But what are we the heirs of? We are the heirs of eternal life, the hope of eternal life. And you see, whenever the Bible uses this word eternal life, it's not just simply saying you're going to live everlasting life. Of course, that's true. But it means more than that. It means that you're going to live a life of wholeness, of peace, of goodness, of shalom, of holiness, of righteousness. It's going to be so good and it's going to be filled with joy and freedom and all these things. This is what eternal life means. And he says this, hope. And this word hope is not the way the world uses it. When the world uses this word hope, it means wishful thinking. Right, like, I hope, I hope next week the Huskies beat Oregon. Right, I hope the Seahawks beat, I don't know who they're playing next week, but I hope they beat whoever they're playing next week. Right, that's wishful thinking. I'm hoping that it happens. I wish it happens. But when the Bible uses the word hope, what it's saying is this. It's saying that this future has already occurred. 
it's already happened. That when Jesus Christ rose again from the dead, he was showing us a future reality of what was to come. That he was saying, this has already been accomplished for you. And so the gospel is, yes, past news that Jesus Christ died and rose again, but it's also future news that you will be redeemed, that everything has already happened in the future. And you see, this changes everything for us. Let me give you an example, okay? I've used uh, sort of an example like this before, but let me give you an example, okay? You know, I don't get to watch Seahawks games uh, live because I'm typically preaching or at church, and so I watch it after the fact, okay? Week one, if you remember, right, we played the Rams, we got killed, okay? We just got smoked. And I think in the second half, we only, like, I think we only made like three yards in the second half. We were just terrible, okay? So week two comes around. We're going to face the Detroit Lions. Uh, the Detroit Lions just came off a huge win. They beat the Chiefs, who were Super Bowl champs, right? And so I'm like, oh, man, we're just going to get crushed. We're going to get killed, right? So Jay Song is out there. Jay Song is like watching the, the game on his phone, and he's like making all these noises. I'm like, Jay, I'm like, stop making noises, man. I'm going to go home and watch the game afterwards, right? But inside of my soul, I was like, you know what? Like, if this is just going to be a beatdown on us, if we're just going to lose like 48 to 0, you know, like some team did, uh, uh, you know, if you, if you know, you know. Um, right, if we're just going to lose, I don't, I don't even want to watch the game. I don't even want to watch the game. So on my way out, I, you know, I was talking with Pastor Kenny, and I was like, hey, I was like, just, just, tell, me, just tell me who won or lost. And Pastor Kenny was like, you sure you want to know? I was like, yeah, yeah. He looked at me just like this. He looked at me like this. He's like, we won. And I was like, oh, I was like, yeah. He's like, 37, 31. I was like, yeah. And I started celebrating. I started going crazy, right? And, and, and I went home because I didn't want to waste three and a half hours watching a game where it would just be agony the whole time. So I watched that game knowing the end. I watched that game knowing the end. And so even though Geno, uh, Geno Smith got sacked, even though Geno Smith threw interceptions or whatever it is, right? Even though we failed, that's the, it never bogged me down. Why? Because I knew the end. And this is the hope that Christians have. This is the kind of hope that Christians have, that the future hope has already been realized in Christ Jesus, and so we already know the end, and here's the ending. Let me tell you it. Jesus wins. He beats death. He beats sin. He beats injustice at the end, and so even though we face the most painful sorrows, we can still have some kind of joy because Jesus wins against evil and death. And you see, the hope of eternal life is not something we have to wait for till we die. The hope of eternal life happens now. It affects our present. And so let's go back to the beginning. How do we live in a dark world? Here's the, here's the answer. We live as people of hope. This is how the light shines the brightest in the darkest places. We live as people of hope. See, the world is hopeless. The world is hopeless. Like If you believe that there is no God, if you believe that there is no God, you have to believe these things. You have to believe that everything is doomed to perish. There is nothing we can do to stop it. The whole earth and all of creation is headed to hell in a handbasket. Everything will die. Everything will be gobbled up. The sun will take over everything and the earth will be swallowed up in all of its fires. Everything will be ash and we live with no hope. This is what you must believe. This is the logical conclusion of everything. That there is no hope. You know what image comes to my mind? The image that came to my mind was the Titanic. Do you guys remember the movie, The, 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 the Titanic, with uh, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio and Kate Winslet? Right? There's that scene when the Titanic is sinking. It's going down into the water. And what happens? Do you remember? The, the captain or whatever, he, he dresses up all nicely. He sits down. He eats that nice steak dinner. Right? Why? Because it's like, well, we're going down. We're going to hell in a handbasket. We got to live it as happily as we can now. So he's eating the steak, right? There's that one uh, guy who's like playing the violin, right, as the ship goes down because he just wants to listen to classical music before he dies, right? This is our world. Do you realize that the greatest ethic in our culture today is happiness and harmfulness? Everything, as long as it passes through these two categories, you're good to go. It's morally acceptable. 
As long as you're happy, you do it, man. Because the world is going to perish. You got to live today. You got to live now. You got to live your happiest life today. As long as it doesn't hurt somebody else. If it hurts somebody else, then you can't do it. Because you're taking away their happiness, and that's the greatest good, their happiness. But if, if you're happy, and, and it doesn't hurt anybody, you do it. You do you. And if you take away that happiness from everyone, you are Satan. You're evil. Why? Because the ship is going down. They believe the ship is going down. We just, we just got to live life now. This is how the world lives. And this is why, this is why we live with hope, Christians. This is why we need to shine brighter with our hope. Because we believe that is not the end. We don't believe that death and evil have the final say. We believe Jesus Christ has the victory. And so we live with hope in a hopeless world. And from this hope comes a life filled with good works, filled with joy, love, and freedom, and hope, friends. And so this leads us to our final point, live the gospel. Let's put everything back together, okay? Let's put everything back together here. We say all about the gospel because indeed everything is all about the gospel. And Tim Keller puts it like this. He says, it's not the ABCs of faith. It is the A to Zs of faith. Because here's a summary of everything I just said, right? The gospel is your past. It happened in the past. Jesus Christ died. He rose again. It's your future. Jesus Christ is going to come back and he wins. And because of the past and the future, we can live presently in the moment with eternal life now here. We don't have to wait till we die to get eternal life. We can live eternal life here and now. We can have heaven here on earth today, friends. You don't have to wait till you die. You can start living eternal life today because the future is yours today, friends. And our lives and discipleship is simply a time for the gospel to go deeper and deeper and deeper into our souls. And you see, this is why Paul talks about in verse 3. Look at what he says. He says, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. And so what he's saying here is the summary of this is verse, uh, sorry, verse 1. Be ready for every good work because this is what gospel produces. It produces people who are ready for every good work, people who are hopeful, who are ready to do every good work. And so look at what he says here, right? He says, uh, uh, remind them to be submissive to the rulers. Now that word submissive means obedient. Okay, and then he says, uh, remind them to be sub, uh, obedient to the rulers and to be obedient. He says it twice. Weird. And what Paul is saying here is not that we should uh, uh, do everything the government ever says, right? Because even the Apostle Paul, what does the Apostle Paul do sometimes? He disobeys the government, right? He, they say, don't preach the gospel. He preaches the gospel. He gets thrown in jail, right? So it's not saying that you obey everything, but, but, but what it does mean is that you be good citizens. You be humble citizens. And that you serve the people around you. You serve your cities. You, you serve the people around you as good citizens, Okay, so he says it twice, and then look what he says. Uh, be ready for every good work. Verse 2, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling. So he's saying it double again. Right? Don't talk smack about people behind their back. Don't talk smack to people to them. Don't quarrel with them, behind their back or in front of them. Okay, and then look what he says finally. He says, to be gentle and to show perfect courtesy. That word perfect courtesy is the word gentleness. So the actual translation is to be gentle and to, and to show perfect gentleness towards all people. So he's saying gentle, gentle. You see what Paul is saying? In the Hebrew, in Jewish times, whenever they would double something, they're saying, do it emphatically. They're saying, like, we should be the best citizens. Uh, we should be uh, ready for every good work. We should never quarrel or fight with anybody. We should be gentle and perfectly gentle at that. And he says, remind them of this. Why? Because this is what the gospel produces. This is what love, joy, and hope produces. And if, if, if your motivation is love and joy and freedom and hope, friends, this kind of obedience will far exceed that of the Pharisees. Isn't that what Jesus says? Your righteousness should exceed the Pharisees. 
Look, here's uh, something I learned from Tim Keller and it has been really helpful for me. He talks about two ways to transform. One of them is called mechanical and the other is called organic. And mechanical because, uh, like, if you imagine like a, a stack of rocks, right, you could, you could grow something mechanically by just stacking rocks and you can make that structure bigger and bigger just by stacking it, right? But then here's the other way, right? You could plant the seed in the ground and let it grow organically and it would grow into this huge tree, right? So that happens organically. And he's saying a lot of growth that happens in the Christian church actually happens mechanically and primarily through fear and pride. You can do really good things out of fear and pride. Did you know that? You, 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 could, you could be like, hey, like, uh, read your Bible. Why? Because if you don't, you're going to hell. And, and oh, I'm going to go there? Okay, I'll read it. You know, like, you don't want to go there. Or, or you could be like, oh, you look at me. I read my Bible. I'm prideful. Look at me. I'm spiritually superior than all of you, right? You could do that too. But those are the wrong reasons. And yes, you could grow a lot of good faith, but you know, at the end, you, uh, you can grow a lot of good works, but at the end, you know what you'll be? You'll be scared and you'll be prideful. You won't be a disciple of Jesus, a humble, caring, compassionate person. But the gospel, the gospel, if you plant that in the ground, do you know how powerful the gospel is? Tim Keller says this, that if you plant an acorn in the ground and you, 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 you build a house over it, you build concrete, you build foundations over it, right? You build slabs and slabs of concrete. Did you know that over time, right, the acorn, as it grows up into a big oak tree, can blast through that concrete organically because that's how powerful organic growth is. And he's saying, do you understand that when the gospel gets deep inside of you and everything is motivated by love, joy, happiness, and freedom, man, your works are going to far exceed that of the Pharisees. I never, ever want to force you as a church or Christians to live good works because of shame, fear, or pride. And if you're a leader in here, you're a deacon, you're a community group leader, you're an elder, whatever it is that you are, a pastor, never, ever, let's never, ever force people to doing good works. Let's never shame, let's never fear, let's never pride them into doing good works. Because here's the reality. If we are people of love, joy, and freedom because of the gospel, we will grow like crazy. You know, here's a simple example of this. You know, my wife, um, uh, and I think I've shared this story before, but my wife has fallen asleep in every single movie we've ever uh, watched, literally. So, like, uh, recently, uh, a church member, uh, you know, gave us a date night, sent us out for a date, and, um, you know, we're thinking, oh, man, maybe we should uh, go watch a movie. And I looked at my wife, we're like, should we go watch a movie? She's like, She's like, I don't think we should watch a movie. And I was like, yeah, I don't think we should watch a movie because you're going to fall asleep every single time, every movie. Uh, even, uh, you know, uh, even Les Miserables, which was her idea, right? Uh, I, and I hate musicals. I'm sorry. I, I love talking. I want people to talk. I don't want them to sing their lines, right? I want them to sing I love I want them to say I love you, not sing I love you, okay? And, uh, but the whole movie was singing, and there was not uh, any, like, talking. And, and she fell asleep. She fell asleep. That was her idea, okay? And I would poke her, I'd prod her, I'd nudge her, I'd tell her, you're snoring, you should be ashamed of yourself, right? Like all these people here are looking at you. It doesn't, doesn't change. She's, she just falls asleep, doesn't matter. But there was one movie, one movie, right? One movie where she stayed awake, and it's a movie called La La Land, right? And she stayed awake in this movie, and here's my theory, okay? She'll, she'll, always re she'll, she'll, she'll deny this till the day she dies, but it's because she loves Ryan Gosling, okay? She loves Ryan Gosling. And I know it. I'm like, you like him, don't you? Like, he's such handsome. He's like, she's like, no, 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 I love you. I'm like, no, 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 you love him. You love him. <laughs> she, I didn't have to do anything. I didn't have to poke her. I didn't have to prod her. I didn't have to shame her. I didn't have to pride her. I didn't have to fear her. Anything. She, she just did it. She did it on her own. She watched the whole movie. It was like three hours or whatever it is. She watched the whole thing. Why? Because she loved the movie. This is the gospel, friends. It's good news. You know, one movie that comes to my mind is The Truman Show. I don't know if you guys remember The Truman Show. Truman Show, uh, uh, basically Jim Carrey's character is living in a, in a uh, basically in a reality show, but he doesn't realize it. He's like the only character that doesn't know it's a reality show. He just thinks it's his life. 
But basically, I, I think I think he has like a girlfriend or wife in that movie, and then he has like a best friend. But then at some point, he finds out. Sorry, end of the movie. But I think it was I think this movie came out in the '90s, so you had 20 years to watch it. Okay, so, but the end of the movie is basically he finds out he's living in this in this kind of reality show, and that his wife didn't really love him. His best friend wasn't really his best friend, but they did all of these things for fame and money. Like you could do a lot of good things off of terrible motivations. And, and, and yet the gospel, the gospel fixes us upon love, joy, freedom, and hope, friends. And this is how we should live. Because what is the gospel, friends? The gospel is simple. Jesus Christ loves you. He loved you so much that even though we were destined for hell, that even though we were destined for the wrath of God, that he intervened and he saved us. He gave us his own life. He shed his blood upon a cross for us. This is the news of the gospel and meditate on this. God loves you. Think about what that means. Here's the, like, I'll, I'll end with this illustration, but this is the best. It's going to sound like I'm bragging, but I'm not bragging. I'm trying to make a point here, okay? It's going to sound like a brag, but I, I, I played basketball every single Monday uh, for like two or three years straight with this guy named Steven Yun. Okay, if you guys know him, he's Walking Dead, right? Uh, I knew him. We would go eat out afterwards, right? I knew him, right? I'd guard him. He'd get sweaty. He'd, you know, he'd drip sweat on me, and I'd be like, oh, Steven Yun sweat on me. I got to guard Steven Yun. You know, Steven Yun shot a three-pointer over me. Uh, I'll never forget this, right? Uh, I blocked Steven Yun. I stole the pass from Steven Yun, right? I, I would guard him, right? And, and, and this is how shallow I am. I'm so shallow that it makes me feel special that I know somebody's special, right? Um, I'll, I'll tell you another, right? Uh, there, there's a guy named Justin Min, okay? Justin Min is uh, on a show called The Umbrella Academy, okay? And, uh, and I think he was in that show, um, that Road Rage show with, uh, uh, I forget her name. Anyhow, you guys know the show, okay, on Netflix, right? He, he was one of my college volunteers, okay? He used to volunteer in our college ministry, right? And, and, and he used to come to my house, we used to meet, and, and he was so poor, because he was not an actor at the time, he wasn't well known, that he was so poor that my wife felt bad for him that we were like, hey, why don't you MC our wedding for us? We'll give you 200 bucks. And so Justin Min emceed my wedding, right? This is crazy, right? And, and, and look, I, I'm so shallow. I'm so shallow that I, that by, by, by just knowing these two and just by having some kind of interaction with this special person, I feel special all of a sudden. I feel great. I feel special. Do you know who knows you? Do you know who knows you? Jesus Christ knows you. Like you didn't just play basketball with Jesus. Jesus Christ died for you. Do you understand the good news of the gospel? He came and he wanted to be with us. He came even though you were in your sin, even though you were still enemies with God. He came to you. And he knows you inside and out and he loves you and he died for you and he loved you even despite all of your sin, all of your shame. He loves you. Friends, this is the gospel news. And friends, all of our lives, all of our discipleship is really getting this gospel news deeper and deeper down into our souls so that, so that we can live as people of hope, people of love, people of faith, people of joy, and people of freedom. Because friends, friends, I'm telling you, if we want to present the hope of the world to the world, we have to live like people of hope to the world. Amen? Let me pray for us. Amen. Oh Lord Jesus, I, I, I love your gospel because it comforts the afflicted, but it also afflicts those who are comfortable. And so, Lord, for me, for me personally, Lord, I'm comfortable. And, God, the gospel many times afflicts me. And it reminds me, God, of, of how shallow my life is and how I'm not living up, God, to the greatness of the news that the gospel really is. And so, Lord, if there are people in this place who feel that way, Lord, we ask for your forgiveness and we repent. Not because we're earning our salvation, Lord, but because we recognize the work that's been done for us. And so, Lord, we come back in repentance to you, Lord. 
and ask you, Lord, to help us, to help us live and to understand the gospel in deeper ways. Lord, for those of us in this place, Lord, who are afflicted and are in need of comforting, Lord, would you comfort us now? If there are people in this room, Lord, who are in the midst of struggle and hardship, maybe it's sickness in the family, maybe it's a lost job, maybe it's a broken relationship, may you comfort them with the hope of eternal life, O Lord. And Lord, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would help us to deeper understand this love and this grace and this truth. May you continuously shove this truth deeper, deeper down into our souls, Lord, so that we might be able to present this hopeless world with a hope, God, that is so unbelievably true, Lord, that, that not only would they reject it, Lord, but that they would sing if they would truly understand it. And so, Lord, help us, Lord. Help us to understand your love and your grace all the more. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.